Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. The Denver Nuggets select Michael Porter Jr. But I'm going to make sure that this pick is this organization's best pick they've ever made. Force inside. Jokic. Jokic. 23. edition of the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, TJ McBride from MileHighSports.com, and this is going to be a very fun show today. Um, I've, as I've been doing with this series, the State of the Nuggets series, is I continually have people on who are mainstays, who are daily people at Nuggets Media, whether it's practice, shoot-arounds, games, they're just regularly there. Um, I don't mean to like point out other people or anything like that, but what it does is I'm able to have people who seem to have the most information and the best understanding about this Nuggets team, and I won't get to all of them, because there's a lot of great writers in the Nuggets Media contingent, but I'm going to have on as many as I can so that we can discuss what they think are the key traits that are holding the Nuggets back from truly contending for an NBA title. The reason that I'm doing this is that when I have all of these different individuals all share their few things, no matter how broad, unique, vague, or exact they may be, it might develop some common threads. So Brendan Vote and Adam Mares and Harrison Wind of DNVR, they all said the same thing that Matt Moore, Nick Cosmiter, and I have said, it tends to create some uh, a, a consensus as to what these issues may be to shine to, to shine some light onto what this Nuggets issues are that are holding them back from taking that last big step into truly contending for an NBA title. So this time I had on Adam Mades of DNVR Sports. The man is a walking encyclopedia when it comes to basketball. He's incredibly smart and it's someone that I turn to regularly when it comes to just basic X's and O's and things that are more complex and advanced as just a sounding board because he is just so in tune with this Nuggets team with Nicole and with the way that basketball is played today. So he had some incredible insight, a lot of great points, and I really enjoyed the conversation with them. So I hope you guys do as well. Please go support DNVR Sports. Um, they do great work over there. You'll hear more about them when I have Harrison on this podcast next. You heard about them when I had Brendan on about a week or two ago. So please go, go support them. They're really trying to build something new locally, and they've been doing a pretty damn good job. So Go support Adam. You can find him at Adam underscore Marez on Twitter and support DNVR. And also, please go support Bet Online. They are the presenting sponsor of this Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast. They are awesome for all things betting. And during these times, we're all stuck indoors. It has become a nice resource for a lot of people to be able to enjoy themselves. So, with no further ado, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to tell you about Bet Online, and then on the other end, it's going to be my conversation with Adam Marez from DNVR Sports to talk about the things that are holding the Denver Nuggets back from truly contending for an NBA title.
With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be entirely wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem, because Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations that you can then bet on to get your fix in. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, even the stock prices and Nathan's hot dog eating contest. All of this is open 24 hours a day and all of it is entirely online so you can do it from the safety of your own home. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Again, go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today to receive your new welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. So as I said on the intro, I am blessed to have a good friend and a colleague, Adam Mares of DNVR Sports, to do the same thing that I've been able to do with Matt Moore and Brendan Vogt, who is also of DNVR Sports, to talk about this Nuggets team in a somewhat different light. So, Adam, thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing? I'm doing great, TJ. I'm excited to be talking to you, man. Yeah, Especially talked, about the Nuggets. Yes, and we talked before we actually started that it's just nice to kind of bullshit with friends again because so many of the totally. people that you're going to hear on this show, we've just sat around a table at the Pepsi Center talking about the NBA, talking about the Nuggets, and kind of just speculating to a degree and talking about our own input. And we haven't had that. And that was something that I very much so enjoyed doing. So this can kind of, this State of the Nuggets series kind of allows us to not only do that, but to also kind of investigate as to what issues are a common consensus amongst Nuggets media that the Denver Nuggets are going to need to address to get to that next level of true contention. So Adam is going to bring in his list. We're going to discuss his list, compare it to Matt's list, Brendan's list, as well as my own to see if there's some common connections there. But before I do that, I've been asking everyone the same question. What have you been doing that is the most bizarre thing to pass the time and stay sane? (laughs) Well, TJ, I'm kind of boring, man, to be honest with you. So I don't, I don't even have one of the um, you have nothing. I, this is Adam who bizarre. like no, 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 no. the world and has like <laughs> all of these crazy whiskeys from Romania and like makes liquor <laughs> and is yeah, like, there has to be something you've done. Well, I mean, I work a lot. I do a lot of like <laughs> fun, creative stuff. But if you say wacky, I don't know if like, you know, doing work is, is all that wacky or parenting. I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old. So I'm, you know, um, got them running around all the time as well. But um. Yeah, nothing, nothing. I can't say anything too wacky or zany. I've been in my house. Yeah, that that's a good thing, and I appreciate you for that. But I gotta say, the kids make things zany. I've had my nephews around, and I spent two hours yesterday teaching them how to catch a little tyke's basketball, and then to dunk it in the in, into the hoop for, like a little dunker spot for my four year old. <laughs> nice. So I'm a thousand percent losing my mind in the same regard. But I'm happy you're doing well. I'm happy the family is doing okay, and I'm happy we can talk about some nuggets. And you have your list, so let's just dive into it. What is the first thing on your list that is holding back the Nuggets from truly contending right now? Well, the first thing on my list is the coronavirus. 
That is Ooh. that is holding back the Nuggets from literally competing for a championship. Okay, so that that so does that mean that you felt they had a chance this year? Because if you're going to play this game, that that is the one of the main contributors to holding them back. Did they really have a chance in your eyes this year? Well, well, well I would say that the coronavirus is the thing that has made it certain that they will not win a championship Fair. this year. Fair no. enough. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think the Nuggets were like realistic contender they could have won i mean they're you know they're a good team they could they could have and maybe if the season returns as i kind of think it will um you know will win but i i, I don't know that it's um you know they're not a favorite they're not like somebody would place a bet on they're probably somewhere around three percent odds or something like that but i do think that just playing out this season was a big part i mean we look at the nuggets and just talk about their arc over the last five years every year has sort of been a step that they that they've taken and gone uh, and learn from, and I think that this year they probably were going to lose in the first or second round. I think probably second, but could have been the first. Maybe they would have made it to the third. Um, I but they would have learned things like really important details about themselves. And so, um, you know, that's not one of my answers. But just going back to saying, you know, joking that the coronavirus yeah. is holding them back. I do think that this season ending is um, in a lot of ways would have. Re- if we would have had it, it would have revealed a lot about what it is that the Nuggets needed. It's actually a very salient point that, you know, kind of came from a joke, but this Nuggets team, they were so inconsistent. There were so many questions surrounding them this season that we didn't get a chance for those questions to be answered in any meaningful way. We all kind of assumed as media that the Nuggets were 100% just had their eyes on the playoffs and it changed the way that the regular season kind of played out. And with that in mind, we were all kind of waiting to really judge this team, this group going into free agency based on how things played out in the playoffs. So there is a point there that we just don't know this idea that we go ahead oh no no well i was gonna say if you just break the season down into sections like jamal murray played really well to open the season and so did will barton but Jokic didn't and michael porter jr wasn't in the rotation and jeremy grant was still learning things you know you fast forward a little bit Jokic is playing well jamal murray's hurt will barton's playing well michael porter jr is playing well jeremy grant is playing well um you know gary harrison Millsap or not then you fast forward to after the All-Star break, Murray's back to playing well, but Porter's out of the lineup. Jokic isn't necessarily playing well. Barton is struggling. So the Nuggets were a good team. They're on pace for 53 or 54 wins this year. They're really good, but at no point were they all playing well together. So one possible reason for that is that they can't play well together. I think that's a I don't think that's the issue, but I think it's a at least, you know, a valid question to ask. But the other thing is you know, the Nuggets could have just come together over the last six, seven weeks and gotten Michael Porter Jr. into the rotation and playing well, gotten Jokic playing as well as he did in January, Murray as well as he was playing in November, and it all comes together and you're like, oh, wow, now this is the team. In fact, oftentimes with teams Denver's age, they're not a young team, but, you know, they're still like growing. Oftentimes teams like this, they do improve as the season goes on and they do sort of reach reach their peak. So um, I, I as much as I don't think the Nuggets were true contenders, they ended the season on a downswing. And I think that paints so much of how we've talked about them during this quarantine of like, oh yeah, but they weren't that good. I think they, they actually were very good. They just didn't show us all of that quite at any point throughout the season. They just showed us different pieces at different moments. And to be fair, how many times have we discussed this idea of, oh, what if the Nuggets are finally healthy? What if finally everybody clicks together? I feel like we've discussed that scenario for four years now. And I'm not sure if there has ever been a 
you know, extended stretch of time in which we saw all of those pieces actually fit together. I can't remember an exact moment because even in the playoffs last year, when most things went right, their defense was not there. Paul Millsap was helpful, but not as big. Gary Harris was not himself. There are still so many pieces that have not fit within that puzzle. So I go back to your original point that maybe they just don't fit, which seems insane to me because on paper, this team seems like it fits incredibly well together, but I'm getting to the point to where I am actually almost willing to say that it doesn't and that they might be needing to get to a position to where they make a change just because whatever is not working has not been able to be alleviated or remedied in any major way. And that concerns me. Well, I think, you know, I would push back in this one way. It, it's so difficult to talk about the NBA and not sound like a, like hot takes. And I think I know what you're saying here. It sounds like a hot take, but I think what you're saying is, you know, when you're a bad team, you don't and you don't fit a hundred percent, but you have talent. You can become a 51, 54 win team. You know, you could you could become good, but for pieces to really really fit together, you might only add five wins on top of that. But that's the difference. So why I say that is the Nuggets pieces clearly fit well together because they're a very good team. It's can they fit better to get to become a great team? And and I think that's sort of the distinction you're making here. Um, and and I I tend to again I I think it's a valid question. I just don't think that's the right answer. If you look at the champions, other than the Golden State Warriors, even a Miami Heat team, you know they took time to sort of gel and they would they would sort of um, reach their peaks during the playoffs. Especially the Cavs teams with LeBron, they would be good during the regular season, sometimes very good. But in the playoffs is when it's like, oh, now everybody's starting to figure out their role and they're sliding into their roles and and getting it together. An even better example and the team that I think is probably the most important comp for the Denver Nuggets is the 2014 Spurs, which they were a very good team during the regular season, but man, did they catch fire going into the playoffs and, it, and they spent the whole year getting on the same page and figuring out their system and where everybody fits in their roles. And then by the playoffs, everybody just knew there was such great chemistry that everybody was on the same page that it really popped. And I don't think that can happen for a team like the 2014 Spurs or the 2020 Denver Nuggets, I don't think that can happen in December because I think learning your role and accepting it and getting chemistry in a high-motion ball movement offense, I think that takes the entirety of a, of a regular season to kind of get down. So um, that's why I say maybe these pieces do fit. They just needed more time. Yeah, and on paper, again, like they fit together. There's no arguing that Will Barton and Gary Harrison, Jamal Murray and Nicole Jokic and Grant and Millsap can all play well together. It's just like you said, that little extra burst to get you across the finish line. And I just don't, I still wonder where they're going to find that if it's on the roster. Um, I just don't know because, again, we didn't see those playoffs. And I wonder if there was a sense of, um, People want to call it complacency, but I wonder if there was a sense of maturity that the Nuggets knew the regular season was not the most important point of what they were trying to do this year. Maybe it was overcompensation because Michael Malone came out saying it's going to be a 110-game season, not 82, and all of these things. So maybe they were too focused on the future, but it does seem like maybe in an NBA season that seems incredibly long that the Nuggets made the mature decision to potentially look forward. Well, here's the thing. So we often talk about the 82 game season as in like giving energy or not and like pacing yourself or this or that. But I would put it a different way. The regular season is about learning certain lessons. It's about like Hmm. figuring out who you are as a team and coming together and, you know, guys learning what their role is and figuring out how to. So 
when we talk about like, was this game on a Tuesday night important from a win loss perspective? Maybe the answer is no. It's like, okay, this isn't that important. They can lose and it's no big deal. But when you step back and look at the overarching, what, it, what is trying to be accomplished with a regular season? It's are, is this team getting ready for the playoff push? Are they finding out things that are going to be useful? And so when we, if we apply that sort of to, to the Denver Nuggets, you know, maybe sometimes you can't tell when a team's in the process because you don't see the like linear growth, especially with guys in and out of the lineup. But to me, it wasn't so much about like, oh, they coasted, they lost games they were supposed to, or, you know, they weren't supposed to or this or that. It's more about were they learning what it was going to take for them to be the best version of themselves. And it, the funny thing is, even to that answer, I don't know. I think playing Michael Porter Jr. more was part of figuring out who you are. I think, you know, taking more three-point shots from the point guard position was part of figuring out who you are. Um, you know, things like that. And and so they were in that process, and it was incomplete, and it feels kind of weird to judge them on it. But to me, that was the goal of the regular season was to figure out who they were. That's a great point because it's not about not giving effort to conserve it. It's about redistributing your effort in a productive and efficient yeah. way. And I, I think that that great. is spot on. Um, that, do you have anything else you wanted to say on that topic? I know we started well, at- Well, so that wasn't actually, so that was kind of, I guess, an aside of preface, but I, I can give you my my number one thing here, um, we'll which is like broad. Again, TJ purposely left these these sort yeah. of vague um, so that people you know can can come up with whatever. But mine is such a broad one, but it's true. It's talent. I don't know if the Nuggets are talented enough to win an NBA championship unless they just became the perfect team, meaning that all guys shared one brain and sort of, you know, everybody kind of knew where each other were or whatever. But talent, I think Jokic is good enough to be um, a star player, probably a number one on a champion team right now. I think he certainly can grow into whatever that is, but he might actually be there already. But it takes more than that in today's NBA. You have to have a superstar and and that that and being a second guy and i just right now i think the nuggets have two guys michael porter junior and jamal murray who have the potential to be that guy but i don't think either one of them has um come meaningfully close to that just yet that's an interesting point they have not come meaningfully close and i want to start with jamal murray because i do feel like the conversation around him is so incredibly polarizing because when you look at his raw numbers and his counting stats it's really impressive what he's been able to do at such a young age playing the toughest position in basketball on a competing western conference team with such a unique center in Nikola Jokic so there is an argument to be made that jamal murray has done quite a bit with what he has been given but for me it's where he falls short that is so important to the Nuggets next step because I feel like when Jamal Murray is on the rest of the Nuggets offense tends to fall off but when the Nuggets offense is on as a team Jamal Murray tends to fall off I haven't seen any perfect um, combination of guys to get the most out of both Jamal Murray and the rest of the team unless it's just let's just play two-man game with Nicola and Jamal so in terms of talent I think he has the raw talent I don't know if that talent fits the correct way for this team. Yeah, I, I think, you know, he has a lot of talent. I think he certainly can still grow into that player, but, and, and I agree that maybe in, in some ways this is unfair because last year in the playoffs, he did step up for in, in yeah. pretty big moments, at least offensively, defensively, not so much, but offensively he did. And, um, and this year we see it. He is the best player on the court a lot. Even yeah. with Jokic, like he's, there was probably 10, 15 games this year where, you know, he was like the guy where you're like, oh yeah, he was, he was better than Jokic tonight or whatever. The problem is I just opened up his game log on basketball reference. He had a game this year, 15 points on 19 shots, seven turnovers. He had a game with zero points. Oh, I guess this is only five minutes. He had a game with 
four points in 30 minutes on one of 11 shooting. I mean, he just, if you go through this, so he has multiple single digit games, multiple games where he took like five more shots than he had points with, with low assist total. He just has a lot of games that are bad and that's the part of it. So consistency was one of the words for him coming into the season. Um, but he just hasn't, in my opinion, found that at the level, his highs are all-star worthy, but he, every other game he's he's low to being like a backup point card level. So um, that that's the big question for him. Can he become more consistent and, and being the good version of himself? Yeah. So I'm going to stick on this point for just a second longer because on my list, I just put overarching injury concerns. And I understand that Jamal Murray does not mm. miss games. I'm not going to sit here and wax poetic about him being an injury prone player. When you are always playing banged up, I don't know how you can play consistent basketball, even if you are this, you know, meditation, do push-ups in the snow kind of mental giant, but you can't always overcome that. I wonder if him playing through as many injuries as he has is a culprit in this particular instance. Maybe. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's really fair that that, that's, that could be it because we have seen, especially like start of years or in the playoffs last year, where he goes to a whole other level. So maybe there is something to that. But at the same time, you know, he health is a skill. And, and if you're going to use that and say, well, if the reason he hasn't done it is because of this for several years, well, then maybe that, that's the issue is that, that he's just not healthy. But that being said, you know, I've been accused of being too harsh on Jamal Murray, and I do think that he has all-star potential. I just think it's now it's now is the time to sort of start showing that more and more, and it has been a little bit behind of, of what I have expected. But his good games, he does some things where he can carry a team. He can legitimately carry a team the way a Damian Lillard can or you know a Kyrie Irving when he's hot. Players like that, they're just too few and far between at, the, at this point in time. And we're just have we're gonna have to wait and see how Jamal Murray develops. But I do I do wonder if there is a lot to his game that is just pure feel, and he doesn't really. I don't want to say he doesn't think because he's an, a very intelligent guy when it comes to how he plays basketball. But I do wonder if he plays his way and he doesn't know how to play other ways. But we'll leave mm. that point to the side unless you have something to say about it. Well, I do, because part of this talent umbrella is also just somebody that can create their own shot. So I guess this kind of segues into the other half of this equation, which is Michael Porter Jr. Yeah. I think the Nuggets, their their perfect form is going to be the Jokic style of offense. He runs the offense. But then you have somebody who's the counterpunch who can just score and create buckets. Jokic's offense, this dribble handoff heavy, pick and roll heavy offense, what it does is it creates advantages in the half court. It gets the defense scrambling. But some players are so good that you don't even have to run a play. You just give it to them and the defense starts scrambling because they're afraid or because the player's so quick or whatever. Um, and, and right now, I don't think Jamal Murray does that. I don't think that he makes the defense scramble just off of an ISO. That's why he always, almost always on an ISO, he finishes with a step back because he doesn't create that that separation. So maybe Michael Porter Jr. is that second player. I think you have to have somebody that you say, oh, even when the offense didn't work, this guy can just get a good look. And maybe that becomes Jamal Murray. But in my opinion, it's much more likely that that player will be Michael Porter. Yeah, Michael Porter Jr. And if anybody doesn't believe this, they're they're wrong in my opinion. He's still theoretical. We had we don't know how this is going to hold up. And like, yeah, we got clues. Yeah, we've seen what he can do. I mean, he had moments in which he was the best player on the floor for every minute he was on the floor in particular games. Like you saw the it factor with him. But again, this is all theoretical. It was great to see him stay mostly healthy throughout the year. You know, ankle injury kind of 
aside, he was able to keep his back strong. You saw his athleticism returning throughout the year. He was able to start grasping different, smaller aspects of the game, defensive schemes, the terminology, how to be able to have these conversations on the court to get the most out of them. But I don't, I want to say that I believe Michael Porter Jr. has a better chance of becoming that second star because of just the intangible skills that are just built within him. But I also don't know if I'm willing to ever put anything concrete on Michael Porter Jr.'s plate because, again, mm. he's all theoretical to me. Well, I don't, he's not all theoretical though, Teej, because he, I mean, we know, for example, that he has talent. What I mean by that is like, Gary Harris, it's not fair to say, oh, he could be the number one scorer on a champion. Like we we know that's not even theoretical. You know, that's yes. like, okay, that's not a thing. MPJ has, in my opinion, demonstrated that he has the talent to grow into a 25 point per game score. I mean, he buckets just come natural to us to him. So I know that that part of the equation at least is there. The question is health, it's mentality, it's development, it's all of those other things, but he's starting from a foundation that has at least the potential in him. That's not theoretical. And that is of a superstar player. So um, the nuggets need that. If it's not going to be Jamal and it's not going to be Michael Porter, if neither of those guys are all-star caliber players, then I think counting on the nuggets to win a championship it's going to be really, really tough. I mean, there's very few teams whose second best player is at least not all-star caliber. Maybe they didn't make an all-star game, but you could like Bradley Beal didn't make an all-star game this year, but he's an all-star caliber player. Um, if, if for the Nuggets to not have a second guy like that, then the margin for error for everything else becomes razor thin. I mean, absolutely razor thin. So I agree with that entirely. The Nuggets have to build this internally. Um, this is something else that Matt brought up is that they're in Denver. And this is another thing that is going to hold the Nuggets back from truly contending because you can't just go out and get whoever you need to that fits with what you're trying to build. So you have to get it throughout the draft or you have to find the very particular individuals who are willing to listen to what you are selling. And the only way that I can see right now to do that is to draft in-house. And of course, there's Bull Bull, whoever the Nuggets get this year in the draft. He's theoretical. Be- yeah, of course he's theoretical. <laughs> of course he's theoretical. We have like I don't what? even know if he exists. Dude, he had a- <laughs> he does- he's been on Instagram hanging out. So I just see some stuff. Him and Monte Morris got some work in a couple days ago, I guess. So this apparently- one of the wor- my I'm the worst my, the worst skill I have at this job is following people on Instagram consistently right. <laughs> cuz I always hear these things and I'm like, "Oh crap, I haven't checked <laughs> Instagram in a month." It helps because I'm stuck inside and my screen time on my iPhone has gone up like 42% since <laughs> all this happened. So I've been yeah. able to do a little bit more of that. But let me ask you, let me ask this question this way. Do you think if both Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. get to, let's just say 80% of their best possible outcome, can they coexist? in mm. a big three with Nikola Jokic. Because I worry personally that Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray play extremely similarly. Mm. I, I don't think so. Um, I, oh, I I don't think, think they play they too similarly. Okay. I do think that they can coexist. So okay. um, right now, that's the part of MPJ's game, if any, that's theoretical, is I think that he, in his limited minutes this year, went out of his way to not be a selfish isolation player and to try to figure out how to, like, play off of other people and cut and do things, you know, just kind of play basketball, play within the rhythm of the game. I don't know if that's the real MPJ or if that's just the the thing, the guy that's like, if I get on the court, I have to play this way or else I won't play again. I don't know. Over time, you know, players tend to kind of become what they want to. And so I, I think if he gets more minutes, would he sort of want more shots and kind of play a little bit more, 
um, you know, selfishly or Carmelo Anthony style where it just always feels like he's open. So he's always shooting. I don't know. But the version of MPJ that we saw today, I think actually fits perfectly with Jamal from an offensive perspective, just in that the the offense then becomes Jokic ball with a heavy Jokic um, Murray pick and roll sort of emphasis. And then Michael Porter just sort of plays off of that most of the time and then gets his touches on mismatches um, the rest of the time. And I, I actually do think it works. I don't think it's a matter of like, oh, you have to saw the basketball in half. But again, it just it just comes whether to not guys are going to buy in. And with MPJ, we don't know that yet. You frame this perfectly because that's exactly how I feel. And I do not believe that if Michael Porter Jr. can get to 80% of what he can do, that he is going to care about playing that off. And again, I don't know. This is all conjecture and speculation. This is not Michael Porter Jr. has an attitude issue. I'm not going there. All I'm saying is that Michael Porter Jr. has always played a particular way when he was the best player on the court. And I do not see that evolving if he isn't fighting and scrapping for every single minute of playing time. Same thing goes for his defense you really think he's going to buy in to his defensive rotations and giving all of the effort on that end of the floor when you can just walk back and take a jumper over anybody and nail it like that's the part that becomes extremely interesting to me when it comes to michael porter well you know that it's an interesting question but i to me i'm I'm, first of all i want to give him the benefit of the doubt just to say well let's see what happens and we haven't seen enough from him on that that side of it but also i do think the league is changing a little bit i mean the way the fan base talks about the the league it's so different from 15 years ago when a Tracy McGrady would want to leave a good situation so he could be the number one guy because that's what everybody wanted they wanted to say you know if you won a championship as a sidekick like a Kobe Bryant people would say yeah but he was a sidekick I think nowadays people say oh he's a champion and and, and, in a healthy way there's more of this idea of you know superstars can sort of play together and if they play the right way their 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 talents shine you know Steph Curry is the biggest winner of this like he hasn't won a finals mvp but um you know he's he's one of the most if not the most popular player in the league so maybe things are different maybe Michael Porter and Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic all coexist and they win championships and nobody's really talking about well is Michael Porter really good or is he just the third wheel maybe that conversation doesn't happen because you're just winning so there's a lot of factors that play into it and then also Jokic's style of leadership one thing and I know you've caught up on this as well this year Jokic has talked pretty glowingly of MPJ's talent and MPJ has talked very glowingly about Jokic's style of basketball and I just wonder there, there there's at least a possibility for those two to just appreciate each other enough and grow enough together that it doesn't matter if Jokic is the guy, the main piece or this guy's the main piece or whatever, where both guys just feel like they're they're contributing and happy. It's at least possible. That's a phenomenal point because Nikola Jokic's leadership may not be what you expect. He's not necessarily that guy, but I will never forget talking to Michael Porter Jr. at training camp. And he goes, I didn't expect Nikola to come talk to me as much as he has, but he's taken an invested interest in him and that was from the moment that Michael Porter Jr. was able to play basketball with his team and that to me was fascinating Nikola Jokic we all want to you know he's so unique and it's very difficult to quantify the way that he views things because he is so unique but it's I, I do feel like it's clear that he saw Michael Porter Jr. as the exact kind of player that he can mold into the ideal wing to play with him it felt that mm-hmm. way I could be wrong but it seems like he saw him and was like there it is that's my chance I can do something with this guy and he put his eggs in that basket is that fair in your eyes I think it's fair I just because I think Jokic is smart and I think he sees the talent but also you know Jokic is smart in this one way he likes plays off. 
And when you have a great one-on-one <laughs> -on -one player and you create an advantage in transition, you get to take the play off. And I think that <laughs> Michael Porter, more than more than even Jamal Murray, who often requires a pick and roll with Jokic, Michael Porter, I think, will be a guy where it's like, oh, we got a, a mismatch in transition. I get to just hang out at the top of the key this possession while Michael Porter posts up a point guard. And I think Jokic is like, that's great. That's all crazy. That allows me to play two more minutes a game. That is such a great point, and I love it. Um, we've done 30 minutes on this one singular point. Go, what is your next one that you have on your list? I've talked about this one a lot on the DNVR Nuggets pod and, and just some of the writing I've done, but I think I really do think it's leadership. And some of this is textured by watching the 2009 Nuggets and watching the Jordan documentary and all this stuff that's been going on since quarantine began. But I think that the Nuggets really do lack a sort of focus um, you know, complete and total focus. Michael Malone has referenced accountability um, quite a bit. Is there somebody in the locker room? And it can't just be the end of bench guy. In fact, I think it has to be one of your best two or three players. Is there the guy that can call people out and is the lead by example guy that can't be that if they call somebody out, no one can say, well, hey, you don't do this or you're not doing that. I don't know if the Nuggets have that yet. I think that Jokic and Murray have taken strides and just growing up as people and becoming more mature and uh, and wise and whatever. But I don't think that either of them have mastered that. And that's one of the things that Michael Malone has said repeatedly is we need some accountability on this team. Who's going to call people out? Who's going to talk up? And I, that's the thing that I think even if those guys have improved, they're nowhere close to the level that I think it takes to, to get the most out of them. Uh, it's also a great point. And I, I go back to when I was in Brooklyn with Brendan Vogt of DNVR, and he asked Michael Malone if continuity can be a double-edged sword. And he kind of laughed it off. Malone was like, why would that really kind of a response? Like he was kind of taken aback by the idea of it. But then we have our Zoom conference call with Michael Malone, whatever, a month and a half ago or whatever it was. Um, and he comes out and says that continuity can be a double-edged sword because it can hilarious. I know it is just so comical. You should splice those two together though. Cause that, I wish that, I had that kind of stuff audio. cracks me up. I wish I had the audio from Brooklyn. I ended up deleting a bunch of audio off my phone. So oh. I, I know I actually wanted to do that, but um, I also think it's fair that Michael Malone before a game has a different way of answering that question. than I've been stuck inside for a month and there's no basketball going on. So just to give Michael Malone that little credit on that part, but I do find that point very interesting in how it relates to this leadership. If everybody is just so used to everybody, do the voices carry the same weight? Is there a, mm. is there a megaphone effect where they can still hear them? Or has it been the same voices for five years that you kind of start tuning it out to a degree? I definitely think that there's some truth to that, especially when you talk about the exact same group of guys top to bottom, which for the Nuggets until this year, that largely was the case, like the top yeah. 10 guys had all been here for a long time. Now you're starting to see some of the pieces move out, but I do think there's something to, you know, when Jokic first arrived here, his voice didn't carry any weight because nobody knew who he was and he didn't speak English. But, you know, so now if you talk about how annoying has Jokic's voice been on the team as the number one guy, I don't think it has because he hasn't been the voice for that long. Same goes with Jamal Murray. But I do think that there are other pieces, and Paul Millsap might be one of them, where it's like, okay, maybe his style of leadership isn't needed, or maybe his voice is sort of worn off or whatever. And I think that's just where some of that new blood and new perspective. The Nuggets have done a great job of getting high-character guys in here. But I also think that they've gotten a lot of the same guy, personality-wise, quiet, yeah. 
you know, quietly driven, quietly motivated and all these things. And I, I just wonder if they need a little bit, one of those people that's out there that, you know, is screaming in practice and in the locker room and always talking and just getting guys jacked up, even on no matter what the circumstances or um, constantly challenging guys and pushing them verbally, vocally. I, I just think that they probably need a few of those voices. Do you think Jamal can get there? Because if there's a guy, I think it's Jamal because he cares enough. He has that passion and that fire within him. So I do wonder if there is a way for him to kind of take, and again, I know this is the exception to the rule, but Damian Lillard was barely speaking when he entered the league, and now he is renowned as this as the leader in the NBA right now. Is there a chance of that? There's a chance because he's young enough. I just don't. I don't see it. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't know that he is that type of leader, um, and and that type of personality to be able to carry that. So it, it's possible because he's young enough. But leadership is tough. It's not just about being willing to speak up. I mean, there's the charisma to be able to do it. There's the toughness. There's the like. There's a little bit of wit and cleverness to it. And um, you know, it's funny watching the Michael Jordan thing because of all the clips we saw, he never paused when somebody would heart back at him he always was ready to go it was like yeah. when he was trash talking somebody and somebody trash talked back he could just keep going like there's there was no end of material that he could keep he could draw from to to kind of bark back at people and that's a real talent um you know just being always on your game and always quick to sort of respond and i don't know if jamal murray is is that guy but we'll see while we're on the Jordan doc, is that the one big thing you took from it in a Nuggets point of view that they are lacking from that time period? Is that kind of leadership? Or is there anything else that you kind of took away from that documentary as well? You know, there's a lot I took away, but that's certainly one of them. And and again, I think it's easy to overstate this as black and white, as in like, oh, they have none of this trait or whatever. I mean, but I just think that there is something to be said for um, a team that feels comfortable um, challenging each other every single day and feels comfortable just being loud and insultive. And when you score on each other in practice, it's a all out trash talking, you know, everybody going at each other's throats. And, um, you know, maybe the nuggets have a little bit of that, or maybe they have a medium amount of that, but they certainly don't have a 96 bulls, you know, <laughs> Michael Jordan level of that. And, um, I, I just from, following the league and reading about the league and reading about a lot of these teams, it does feel like that's at least a piece of it. It's just somebody willing to push them every single day and, and not just push them, but push them to a hundred percent, bring, bring the intensity level up to 11 every single day. I think Malone is that guy, but your coach can't be that guy in the NBA, in my opinion. I totally agree with that. And Malone has tried to his credit. He, he has done what he can to be that motivating force, but you need to have players self-policing. Um, one thing that Matt brought up when I did this same podcast with Matt Moore of the Action Network was that he specifically pointed out Nikola Jokic's leadership as a potential downfall of this Nuggets team because he isn't that guy. And again, this isn't a, a, an indictment on Nikola. Not everybody has to be that guy, but in what ways do you think Nikola Jokic can improve as a leader? Oh, well, I think it's already happened. Um, to me, actually, Jokic is, I, I, I mean, obviously, like everything with Jokic, or uh, yeah, everything regarding Jokic, I disagree with Matt Moore. <laughs> I know, Shocker. that's why I like asking um, these particular questions. Um, but, you know, I think Jokic can be a Tim Duncan style of leader. You know, mm -hmm. it, there's a lot of different types. And um, Jokic is a guy Jokic that I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to say Tim Duncan here for, for a reason in that, um I think that Jokic took the game a lot more seriously this year than I'd ever seen before. Mm -hmm. um, and 
and sort of motivated personally by personal matchups. And, you know, he, there was a re he went hard at Rudy Gobert in the times that he played uh, against him. He went hard at Embiid and Towns and like Anthony Davis, even though he got outplayed, like there, uh, to me, there was just this real, like sort of chip on his shoulder this year that I hadn't seen before. And to me, that was the missing piece. He already plays the style. And that's one of the missing pieces. He already plays a style that lends itself to leadership. It's like everybody trusts him to make the right play. I don't think there's anybody on the roster that's like, oh, I can't trust Jokic in this situation. They they fully trust him. And that's a big part of leadership is gaining people's trust. The part for him that I think has to, you know, there's still a lot of progress to be done is, you know, he's a passive aggressive communicator. He, he's not when Malone talks about being uncomfortable, having uncomfortable conversations. I think a lot of this is Jokic needs to become more comfortable calling people out and other players. And in particular, Jamal Murray need to be comfortable calling Jokic out and Jokic needs to be better at maybe responding to those. I think he has a tendency to be very passive aggressive. I think geniuses, by the way, tend to have this trait where, you know, when you're smarter than everybody else and somebody's trying to like, and, and people aren't on your level, you know, you can become very passive aggressive because you just get like annoyed or whatever. But so that's the piece that I think Jokic has the longest to go on is how does he handle conflict with the team? Does he learn how to like handle that the way at Tim Duncan would, um, which by the way, was not like Michael Jordan barking at teammates and being loud and boisterous, but still nonetheless effective. Um, that, that's the part for him that I think has to happen. I don't know, by the way, if that piece is going to come, but I certainly think it's possible. And I think he has it within him. Uh, and I think he was moving in that direction a lot more than I ever expected before the season shut down. I need to give a massive shout out to Katie Wingy herself at Altitude for reporting on so much of this during games too. Because she was the one who was right next to these huddles being like, Nicola's grabbing the whiteboard. He's the one being loud. He's the first one off the bench to get guys when they're coming out, coming out for timeouts. Those moments I also think are incredibly important. And I think it's what you're speaking to in terms of how he grew this season as a leader. And she deserves a ton of credit for making sure that reporting got to so many eyes and ears. Because but I, but again, I don't even know if like grabbing the whiteboard in a timeout and you know yelling at a guy on the court. I don't even know if that's necessarily what it's going to take. I think it's going to be a lot more of a is he grabbing a guy on the bus? Is when they're on the road in Charlotte and Michael Porter hasn't been playing well for four games? Is he like, all right, that's the dude I need to go hang out with today and and, and bring him in? And we don't know the answer to that, but I suspect from you know, from everybody we've talked to that hasn't necessarily been the case. And part of that is I'm sure he doesn't know what to say or what to do or, or when to push those buttons yet. He's still figuring that out. But to me, that's much more the Tim Duncan style of leadership. The, um, you know, it's not so much minute by minute management as much as it is like, Hey, this is what this guy needs right now. I'm going to find a way to get him there. That's a great point. I do like that a lot. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to say about the leadership before going to your next point? Nope. I can go on to the last one. Let's do it. So, and this is a big one. I made all of mine purposefully broad, but it's freedom and creativity in the offense. Yes, I'm so happy you're saying this. No one has brought this up yet, and I've been waiting for someone to get to it because it's on my list. And credit Michael Malone for already having a lot of this in him. I mean, I was watching, I just did a video on Jokic at Summer League, and they're in one of the clips, the, they run an inverted 1 5 pick and roll. And I kind of laugh because I'm thinking, wow, all the way back in Summer League, they were trying this out. Now, I don't know if that was called. I think it was called or if it was just within the flow of the offense. But the Nuggets have had – they've done certain things that are actually revolutionary from a basketball standpoint. Just giving Jokic the keys to the offense has been pretty revolutionary. But in my opinion, they're still far too traditional. They're still far too orchestrated. They're still way too much reliant on Michael Malone's brain and not nearly reliant enough on Nikola Jokic's brain. 
And the final form of this team is going to have some great defenders that all buy into the team defensive scheme and identities. But offensively, they're going to have a lot of just trusting Jokic the way Mike D'Antoni trusts Steve Nash, um, the way Phil Jackson trusts Michael Jordan. Was there a structure in place? Sure. But was he ever giving Michael Jordan advice about when or when not to shoot? Of course not. I think the same is going to be true for a Jokic-led team. There's just going to be a lot more creativity and a lot more freedom in it than what we've seen, especially over the last two years. I really do think that the Nuggets have become less free-flowing over the last two, two or three seasons, not more free-flowing. So two things about that. One, Michael Malone deserves a lot more credit for being willing to allow his offense to be ran by somebody that he admitted cannot jump over a newspaper and is the most unique center in the NBA. Like He deserves a lot more credit for that. But that point aside, the second point is I the joy feels gone in the offense. They don't look yeah. like they're having fun anymore. And I was watching a bunch of clips from February today because Michael Malone talks about Nikola Jokic's February when he averaged like 25, 10, seven and a half, a steal and a half and a block and went nuts. And there was that sense of joy. And it may have been a little bit more professional. It may have not have been just a bunch of kids playing ball on the court like it kind of felt the first couple years. But you see him making, you know, completely insane hit-ahead passes. He's throwing over-the-shoulder passes. He's willing to try and sneak passes through very, very small windows that you don't even think exist. Like, there was a sense of fun that kind of came back in Nikola Jokic's game. And my question to you, as the Nikola Jokic whisperer, is why do you think the joy leaves the offense? I mean, that's a really good question. I, I I do think that there's, you know, something to the pace of play that the Nuggets play at and, and just to the level of control that can suck the life out of it. I mean, the f- most fun you can have on a basketball court is when the ball is really popping and when you're, popping, you're getting right? you know, when it's popping and you're getting all kinds of like quick plays. If you think back to the most fun game of the Jokic era, one of the most fun games, that Warriors win of 2017, the legendary Wancho mm-hmm. game. If you remember that game, the Nuggets were scoring every like seven seconds. I mean, it was fast. They were getting, they were sprinting up the court. Um, they were three, four quick passes, quick decision making, uh, quick decisions made, and then somebody would hit an open shot. That quickness and that free flowing, I think that's where the fun comes from. It's rhythm. When you feel in rhythm, things feel right. When you feel out of rhythm, you just things don't feel right. And I think for the Nuggets, their default position is out of rhythm. Their default position is walk it up, get set, and then run whatever play or action it is that you're you're trying to do. And to me, that just sucks so much out of it. Ryan Blackburn, over our, our buddy over at Denver Stiffs, had a great um, article up, I think, last night or the night before about the Nuggets just being terrible in transition, terrible on spot-ups, and terrible at pick-and-roll playmaking. Well, those are the three most common ways teams score in the NBA right now, and the Nuggets don't. Um, and those, they're, one of the reasons they're the most common, well, one, they're high efficiency to begin with, but two, they're also the things people like to do. They like to run out in transition. They like to kick out for open threes, and the Nuggets just don't do that nearly enough right now. The transition part is so fascinating because I was actually playing with this this morning. I didn't even know Ryan wrote on this. The Nuggets were 23rd in the NBA in fast break points per 100 possessions this year. To me, there is no excuse for why the Nuggets should be that way. They have so many athletes, so many selfless players who are willing to make the extra pass, and so many guys who know how they play with each other. So the idea that they could be that low in fast break points was very startling to me. And then I started to think, 
is this potentially a causality of the fact that the Nuggets play a purely scramble defense? When you're going to play at the level of the screen, put two guys on the ball and scramble behind, that is going to take an incredible amount of effort. And I, I wonder if that shift, because that shift seemed to coincide with the lack of joy and movement and creativity that we're talking about in the offense. Do you, did you feel that that kind of aligns or no? I don't think so. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think so, especially at the minute totals guys are playing on the Nuggets. I mean, they they don't play very many minutes at the top end of this. Jokic, let's see. Let's see the minute totals here. 33 for Will Barton. That's really low. 33 for Jamal Murray. That's really low for a number one. Jokic at 32 and a half. Yeah. I mean, LeBron's playing, what, 37? Yeah. So you take off five minutes per game, and, and um, no, I, I just I, I don't think that really contributes to it much at all. I think it's a decision. I think it's what you prioritize, and I think the Nuggets prioritize defensive execution and offensive – and really execution in general, but defensive execution above all else. And when you, when you emphasize that, you don't emphasize fast-break scoring. Those two things are almost – opposed to each other in terms of what you emphasize. So um, you can you can do both. You can be a good defensive team and get out in transition. But to me, it seems like the Nuggets emphasis is on the one, not the other. It's a good point for sure. And Michael Malone, he's a defensive coach. He's been very clear that he wants to win with defense, full stop. And one thing that I've always toyed with is that the Nuggets – They've never won that way that I can remember. They've never been able to sustain winning in that fashion, especially playing at altitude. I have to wonder if playing a more opportunistic defensive sets and trying to get out and get steals and get out in transition is more advantageous to allowing them to play fast, to play loose, to play with each other and play more read and react offense as opposed to set offenses, if that maybe is something that could help them. But again, that's all just speculation and conjecture because we just don't know. Because Michael Malone, this is how he feels. This is who he is as a coach he is a defensive minded guy and to his credit he has evolved as a head coach but i'm not sure if that point will ever evolve for him because at his core that is who he is as a defensive minded head coach yeah yeah i think i think there's something to it um but at the at the end of the day though sometimes this is the foundation that has to be laid for the final form of this team and it, it people always talk about like oh is um, Malone, this team's Mark Jackson or whatever, and they need the Steve Kerr. And I, as in addition to that being sort of unfair, I think to Malone and, and discounting what he did, I think it also misses the point of the Mark Jackson, Steve Kerr thing. Mark Jackson wasn't a bad coach. Mark Jackson helped build a defensive identity that became the foundation for uh, a 73 win team. And I think the same can be true of Malone. Now, hopefully with Malone, it doesn't require a change of, of, of coach to be, you know, to kind of pivot to the other, but hopefully you have established a defensive understanding and identity with guys who weren't natural defenders. Jokic and Murray are not natural defensive players. Um, you know, they're offensive guys primarily. So if, if you have been able to sort of establish that foundation, now you can turn your emphasis and sort of to sort of phase two of your tenure here and really figure out how to get that offense going without losing that defense, then it works for you. That's what happened to the Warriors. It just so happened to require a coaching change in order to get there. The Nuggets maybe can can change without having to be there. Maybe they can get back to that 2017 style and efficiency of, of offense with the 2020 version of their defense. If you were to create a checklist of things that need to happen to get back to that kind of offense for the Nuggets, what would that checklist look like? 
Well, number one, shooting. I, yeah. I, I think I think that's a, a really big part of it is that the Nuggets just don't get a lot of catch and shoot opportunities. I think some of that has to do with the, the the size of like a Gary Harris. He has to be pretty wide open to take a shot. Same goes for Will Barton at the small forward position. So some of this is, I, I, I think, just who's on the roster. I think pick and roll scoring is a huge part of it. If you think back, 2017 was where the ball was really popping. Well, Jameer Nelson was their point guard, or 2016, yep. I guess it was. Jameer, Jameer Nelson was the point guard. And Jameer Nelson, while, while at that point, you know, long on the tooth and not great, he could run a, a pick and roll. He could pull up, turn the corner at the free throw line and, and knock down that shot or hit the three. He had a lot of things he did that were really, really good. And, um, you know, so Jamal Murray, the number one thing, him getting to that level is just the willingness and ability to to pull up from the three-point line um, off of the pick and roll and knock it down. Right now, he doesn't do it very much. Um, so those two things. And then one thing I think we're going to find out very quickly, Paul, the, the difference between Paul Millsap and Jeremy Grant from an impact they have on Jokic is pretty huge. Yeah. And so I'm curious to see if as Millsap's role on this team gets reduced or cut out, if he just not re- doesn't return next year, I'm really curious to see if the offense returns and on the second part, if their defense survives it. That's a really, really fascinating question. It really is because as many tools as Jeremy Grant may have, he doesn't solidify the defense like Paul Millsap does. He's not that no. quarterback on a defensive side of the floor to be able to really make that impact. So I do wonder, Jeremy Grant is going to be fascinating because we don't know what the cap is going to look like. So who knows what he does with that player option? If he doesn't opt into the player option, which I still don't expect, what kind of money is even going to be out there for him? Are the Nuggets going to get him for cheap? And how is he going to fit going into a potential full-time starting role? And is he going is he going to be able to evolve enough to cover up some of the issues that he has, like defensive rebounding and the issue of dealing with stronger players, so on and so forth? So he's going to be interesting, but, but that's a whole. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic about it, to be yeah. honest, TJ. And I'm, I'm especially optimistic about the fit of him and Michael Porter together. I mean, we've Thank joked you. about this. Brendan Vogt invented the long boys, right? Yeah. But there really is something to it. Those two guys are really, really long. Um, if Will Barton or Tory Craig or both become your shooting guards, you know, you're a pretty long team. And, and to me, I've always thought that defense has a lot to do with the culmination of talents rather than just any individual. Paul Millsap certainly um, played free safety in a way that was very impactful for the whole team. I mean, it made such a big um, contribution there. But there might be something to just gaining. And we're not talking about a little length. The difference between Jeremy Grant's when you factor in his reach and athleticism to Paul Millsap is quite a bit. But when you factor in the length between um, Will Barton and Michael Porter Jr., when you factor in length and athleticism, that's huge. And then if you slide Will Barton over to the shooting guard spot, just his length above Gary Harris, that's also quite a bit. So you get a lot longer at three positions. Maybe that makes up for the defensive loss of, of Millsap and everything he brought to the table. And when you have that much length and guys who can just swallow up space that quickly, because it's not necessarily that they have to be great defenders. Yeah. They can just close out to the corner in a step or two. Mobility, yeah, yeah for that sure. Is such a massive deterrent for so many teams. You start to wonder, how much better can Nikola Jokic look within a, a scheme defensively when there is so much length to clean up behind him? Because yeah. he likes to play up the floor. He has great hands. There's a reason his steal numbers are so absurd. So I do think that that's going to fit. I actually wrote on Michael Porter Jr. and how his defense could take the Nuggets to the next level level if he willingly buys in and continually improves, which of course is, again, theoretical in my eyes. But if he can do that and fits with Jeremy Grant, and like you said, Will Barton, so 
slides to the two, you're just swallowing up space like it doesn't exist. And they're all incredibly talented players, whether it's with the ball in their hands or not. Even Jeremy Grant showed some dribble game this year. So I do wonder if all of a sudden the versatility on both ends of the floor unlocks this long boys, this, you know, ultimate version of a Nikola Jokic lineup going forward. And I really want to see it because we just didn't get to see enough of that this season. Um, Did you have anything else you wanted to say? I think that's it. Those are, I mean, those are the three things that I, I looked at. I will say, I think the Nuggets are closer, though, than uh, a lot of people realize. Or, and sort of the way the discussion has been, at least from what I've seen, I, I don't think they're that far off. Um, and, and they're still young enough, not that it's an excuse or anything like that, but they are young enough that these guys are still becoming the players that they will be. So um, you can't say that for too many teams in the NBA, that they should be better just from natural inter- internal improvement. The Nuggets are one of those teams that still have that. So... Uh, I'm I'm still optimistic on the Nuggets. One game away from the Western Conference Finals last year, and they came back this season as the third youngest roster per, per real GM. Right after that, <laughs> like absurd, just like the raw number age of how young these guys are. So I totally agree. Adam, please plug everything you can plug. You deserve all the time. I don't, I don't have anything to plug to be honest, DJ, <laughs> other than DNBR. <laughs> yeah, just DNBR, man. Just everything. We have a million things going on over there. So. Um, Check that out. <laughs> We're rewatching games, doing live podcasts every night, bringing on fans, having amazing guests like JB and Tommy Balchettis. Like, he may be playing this down, but go look at what DNVR is putting together. I'm not even, like, I'm technically competition, and I still enjoy everything that those guys do. So, seriously, go pay attention to what DNVR is doing. They're creating a community, and whenever it's safe enough to make sure you head out to their bar in Denver, I will be there getting quite drunk after all this is all over. So, please support what they're doing in the community that they're trying to build throughout a very, very crazy time. Adam, it has been an incredible amount of fun to talk like this again. Thank you for coming on and spending 50 minutes with me talking about this. Thanks so much, TJ. It's always fun, buddy. Are you looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? Get to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients in Viagra and Cialis so you know that they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, and even on a full stomach. Plus, you do not need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in a pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. So here's a great deal for all of you guys out there. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. That is it. Again, that is B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code BLUEWIRE.